I would love to see more brands donating percentages of proceeds to the Indigenous communities. That's one of the easiest ways that they can give back to the community and to the land that they're on. Tanse, hello, and welcome to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm super excited to be talking to Marika Sila. She's an Inuk actress, stunt performer, influencer, and activist from Yellowknife Northwest Territories. With over a half a million followers across Instagram and TikTok, Marika is also well known for her work on the TV series, The Twilight Zone, and her incredible stunts and skill performances specializing in nunchuck, hoop dancing, fire spinning, and honestly, so much more. Marika also appeared on a recent season of The Amazing Race Canada, where, spoiler alert, she and her brother, Olympic cross-country skier Jesse, placed second. Marika also recently blew up the internet, showcasing the traditional snow blinders made from an antler that she made with her dad. And she's also one of my good friends. She joins me here today to share an inside perspective on the nuances and complexities of being an indigenous influencer and the responsibilities that come with a significant public platform. I'm super excited to have you here. And I also just want to say, like, congrats on all the accomplishments you've made so far. I know oftentimes on social media, we see just one side of a person and sometimes we don't see the responsibilities and really the perseverance and the dedication behind the scenes. And so my first question for you is like, what does the term indigenous influencer even mean to you? Is that a term that you resonate with? How does that term feel for you? I think a lot of people don't like the term influencer, but I'm kind of the opposite. Like, I actually love that us as Indigenous influencers have the ability to influence our following in a positive way. And it reminds me that I have influence and there's a responsibility that comes with that. Yeah. And that's what I was just going to get into. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with having a public platform, let alone representing like our indigeneity online. So talk about the responsibilities that you feel in having your platform and representing your nation and your community. Yeah, I feel like being an Indigenous influencer holds a, a lot of weight and a lot of responsibility because of the ethics of our community and the standard that we're all held, which at times I think is an unfair standard to hold our influencers at. Just like anyone else, we're regular human beings. We need to pay our bills. We need to live our lives to the fullest. And I think that as an Indigenous influence, I'm sure you've felt this as well, is there's so much backlash for taking on certain campaigns. And um, it can be a lot to handle because of um, that pressure and that standard that we're held at. I mean, for myself, it's an amazing responsibility and it's it's an honor to be able to uh, to influence in the way that we do. Yeah. And I think oftentimes people forget like we had a careers before becoming Indigenous influencers. Like for me, I've always wanted to be a global yoga ambassador for Lululemon. I always wanted to inspire people through movement and meditation. And when I started advocating with things for things on my platform, that's just how I grew my following. But it was never like my intention to be a quote unquote Indigenous influencer. And I know for you, you are a hoop dancer, you're a performer. You are always like 
doing things within the community before you had a platform. So what was that shift like for you? And how did you get um, to where you are with your platform? How did that, how did you start to gain a following? Yeah, for myself, I feel like in a way it's been like, I've always wanted to build a platform, a platform where I can speak about important indigenous rights issues and climate issues. And so I always saw my career with acting and dancing as a way to build this platform. So personally, like everything that I do kind of like feeds into my intention of building a bigger platform so I can raise more awareness so I can have more of a positive influence on as many people as I possibly can. So that transition hasn't been really hard for me because I feel like everything that I naturally love to do kind of like feeds into that platform. Like I love acting and I love dancing. Like my goal is to like in life is like to have as much fun as I possibly can and make as much money as I possibly can (laughs) and influence as many people as I possibly can to live their best lives. I feel like we need more of that too. Like I feel like online we need to see more indigenous joy. We need to see more like positivity. We need to see more of the healing that happens. I think oftentimes we can get stuck within teaching and educating um, non-indigenous people and teaching the traumas that come with being indigenous, which are obviously very important. But I think it's just as important to also see that light and to see that radiance from each one of us. And so how have you been able to stick to your values through having a public platform like what are the values that you keep coming back to um, when you say yes to a campaign or when you make a public post what are those values and how does that resonate with you online I feel like sustainability is one um, but also doing things in a good way and like and the way that I connect with that and with creator is just by asking myself before I post anything before I take on any kind of campaign or anything I ask myself, like, does this sit right with me? That's what I always go back to is I always go back to, does this feel right? And that's like either yes or no. It's usually pretty evident whether it's a yes or a no. And um, if it's an automatic no, then I just, I just don't take it. If it's questionable, then like I'll do my research into the um, company and I'll see like, what is, what is wrong about this? Like, Why do I feel weird or iffy about this? And usually it'll come down to like an ingredient or something that 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 brand is using. For example, like I got an offer for um, a hair product and I was like, for some reason, I feel like this is just so weird. Like, I don't know why I feel so off about this. And so I went deeper into like, why, like, what is this company about? I realized that they use shark cartilage in their product. So I obviously said no, and I told them why. And I think that it's important, and you and I have had conversations about that, um, it's important to tell them why when you, when you deny something. Doing your research is important, and, and also just listening to that instinct, that initial instinct that you get before you're about to post or before you take on a campaign. Yeah, that's something I really like about your work. And like what I've come to know is that you're always advocating for stuff behind the scenes, whether it's like equal pay for Indigenous women, whether it's getting like higher rates with your day rate. I know you've inspired younger Indigenous influencers to advocate for what they're worth. And I think oftentimes people don't see what happens behind the scenes and how we're constantly even advocating outside of the public platform. Um, And I think sometimes that's where the real work is happening is like we're almost like consultants to 
other brands on like what they can be doing within their company to change and how they can start. I think brands are also in a position where they can really be trailblazers in different industries if they start utilizing more of indigenous voices or teaming up with indigenous creators, designers, artists like that's, I think, like economic reconciliation. And I think like more of that needs to happen. And so I guess my next question would be like, what is your advice for the younger indigenous influencers out there? Like, I know I know we've had this conversation, but like, what would your advice be? Yeah, for the younger gen. First and foremost, figure out what excites you and build your platform. Focus on consistency and building that platform so that you're able to um, charge more. And like straight up, if you want to be an influencer, if you want to be a full-time influencer, like really hustle hard and consistently post and post whatever it is you're excited about because if you're posting something just for other people it's going to drain you it's not going to be sustainable you have to post something that like you're inspired to post otherwise it's not sustainable try and keep a good energy behind everything that you do i feel that when you do that the creator provides eventually like videos are going to start to pop off and eventually it'll happen for you you just have to stay consistent Well, and for you, like consistency and the discipline that you have, like, where did that come from? Like, did did you always have that discipline as a child? Was this something that was modeled by your parents? Like, where did that perseverance and that consistency come from in your life? I feel like it came from a few different things, but mostly how I was raised. And um, also just from seeing my brother do what he's done. Like, he went to two two Winter Olympics as a cross-country ski racer. And I was a cross-country ski racer literally from the age of two. Like, as soon as I could walk, I was in my first ski race. (laughs) And and I ski raced till I was, like, 16 or 17. And not very many people know, like, that side of myself because I don't talk about it very much. But I was, like, I was dedicated to cross-country skiing when I did it but I didn't actually love it. I actually hated going out and training in the cold every day. And so when I quit ski racing, I was like, what can I do if I put all this dedication towards something I actually love? And so I started dancing. I started um, hoop dancing and stunts and special skills. And I just used that dedication that I built as a cross country ski racer and consistently doing something that I didn't love it sounds crazy but like I think that there's a lot of power in doing hard things from a young age like whether that's like track and field or whether that's soccer or cross-country skiing or whatever it may be anything that has like that kind of structure um, and that and that takes that kind of discipline I feel like that translated for me personally into my adult life and has like I go back to that always thinking about okay, I used to push myself this hard physically. Now what can I do if like I actually push myself for something that I truly love? Yeah, no, that's really inspiring when you're in an environment that allows you that chance to like have that discipline and to also have that support. And I know you and your brother uh, went on the amazing race and you placed second. How was that experience like for you to connect with your brother and also to just race across Canada? It was pretty unreal. It was unreal. It was so special to be able to connect with my brother on a very like sibling level. Like we haven't been spending that much time together consistently, like 
literally in the same hotel room um, since we were like 12 years old, probably. We have so many hilarious memories now that are like so many inside jokes that we wouldn't have had if we went on that, like if we weren't on that show together. And we just know each other so much better because you're around each other literally 24 seven, as you know, and um, (laughs) going through these crazy challenges. So I'm really glad that we did it. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, I just recently competed in The Amazing Race as well. And uh, Marika was on season eight of Amazing Race and she plays second with her brother. And I'm on season nine of Amazing Race with my brother. And I have to say, like, it does take a certain level of intimacy and just knowing each other to really be in that moment and to call like, okay, who's going to do this challenge? Also, just putting a lot of trust in the universe that your your sibling is going to make it out alive and that they're going to be okay. I think for me, I was like super... Like, my mother instincts started coming online. I was like, oh, gosh, like, I should have done this challenge. I don't know if Joel can do it. Like, but I guess I'm the older sister, too. Like, you're the you're the younger sibling. (laughs) Yeah, totally. That's so funny. I wonder how my brother felt seeing me do things now. He's so good at literally everything. So I felt like I was just, like, trying to keep up with him the whole time. He's just insanely smart and really fit. So we were just like, hey, you're doing this one. (laughs) Yeah. Like every once in a while, I'd come in handy. But like, (laughs) I was literally just trying to keep up with him the whole time. I feel like when you're in the race, like you are, people don't realize like, you are in it. And for me, I would forget that there's cameras on. So I feel like when you're on reality TV, you have no chance to put up a mask. Like you have no chance to put up like any kind of borders. You're getting like your raw self. And I know for you, you broke down like a few times in different challenges. And so like, how is that experience like for you when you're, you know, crying on national television? I mean, I haven't seen all the episodes. There are some episodes that I'm like, I just can't watch that. I would say that like as an actress, I feel like it did me wonders to just get so used to the cameras being around and I never in a million years thought I'd ever get to that point as an actor it's weird it's so weird you're just like so in the moment that like you forget that that it's there but yeah there's definitely some cringy moments (laughs) (laughs) but it shows the real side of me so whatever when you're filming Amazing Race, they literally, each team has a camera person like on the passenger side and then they have the audio in the back. And when you're running the race, they're running alongside you, which I have to give them like hands down. Like they're, they're beasts. Like to be able to carry a camera and run backwards while trying to like get everything in they, action is next level. They were kept, they were keeping up to Jesse and I and I was struggling with no backpack, they had cameras and like full equipment they were carrying. Jesse was carrying my backpack and I was trying to keep up with him. I gave Joel my backpack like 10 seconds into the race. I was like, take this. <laughs> like, I don't even need anything. We literally brought one change of clothes and we literally went to survival mode. <laughs> oh man, I know what that's like. And like, Jesse would take my backpack and he wouldn't be phased at all by 50% more weight. Like, he was just, like, as if he was, like, on some morning (laughs) jog. Literally. No, my brother did the same thing. I was like, wow, like, I really, like, after the race, I I picked up running, though, from the race. That's something that came with it. Like, I got more disciplined with my cardio and actually going for runs now. So I also feel like Amazing Race provided some structure to my life in the fact that I knew where I sucked and I needed to make it better. (laughs) 
Yeah, me too. I was literally just running at the gym today. And I was thinking about the race. Like now I think I will always think about the race anytime I'm like on a jog. So when you did the race, what was the response like when it went live? Like how was it representing your community? And yeah, how was it received? I feel like it was received pretty well. I feel like they showed um, our story quite well. They like showed us in a good light, which I was very appreciative of. Because, you know, with reality TV, it can go one way or the other and they can kind of paint you however they would like to. They just really showed who Jesse and I actually are. The real sides, like the cringy real sides too. But it's good because like, I feel like my following hasn't really been able to see that side of myself. Like I am human and I'm not perfect. And I I get stressed out under certain situations too. (laughs) Especially when there's like, $400,000 on the line. (laughs) Yeah, there was no complaints. Like nobody ever said anything about it, surprisingly. Yeah, like I feel like when you have an online platform, sometimes you don't see behind the scenes or how we actually act in everyday life. So it's a really good way to share your story. And so I imagine like through you sharing your story continuously on your platform and within reality TV and Amazing Race and all this, I, I imagine you start to even learn more about yourself and also learn more about where you come from. And so, how has that experience been like for you advocating for things what have you learned about your own community through that process like with anything that I do just even as time goes on like we naturally learn more about ourselves and I feel like the closer I get to myself the closer I get to the wisdom of my ancestors I feel like going through challenges like that just like our ancestors were put through challenges and tests it has helped me understand who I am, therefore understand where that resilience comes from. Just traveling across Canada was super special to be able to see so many different places that I never would have been and um, connect with my community in ways like just even with my cousins watching the show and like my community messaging me and saying, oh, we're so proud of you. And like, yeah, it was just like, really sweet and really cute to get so many messages from the community and to be able to connect with them that way. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to, yeah, seeing the response that me and my brother get on the show. And also, I feel like when you're on that show too, it gives you a chance to advocate for uh, the issues facing our communities, which I want to bring up is like, how can people support the community that you're from? Like, what are ways that we can support the Inuk community, the Inuit community? What are ways that we can start giving back? Well, currently, right now, our community is facing a lot of erosion from climate change. And we are trying to raise enough money so that we can put a structure in the water that will protect the grave sites, the like traditional grave sites and our coastline up north. So right now, just raising awareness about that is super important to me. And also just climate change is, is really hitting the north. You can see the effects of climate change way more um, in any of the northern communities all across the world. And so climate change in general is, um, yeah, it's, it's really devastating. And raising awareness about that is, is one of the biggest things that people can do to, to help us. We're trying to raise awareness because we're trying to get the attention of the government. Because I feel like we're going to get more money from the government than we would from just like a GoFundMe. It'll take about like 
$55 million to put in this structure. So we're hoping to, to get enough funds from the government for that. Last I heard, um, it sounded like some of it was being approved, but I'm working with the community right now to try and get some more information from them on that. Yeah, and I, that brings me to my next question is I think when we are advocating for stuff and when we're wanting to bring about change, there has to be a certain direction that we're headed. And I think this can be summarized within Indigenous futurism. And so if you could imagine like an, an Indigenous future, like what does that look like to you? What do you hope to see within the next year, within the next five years? What does Indigenous futurism look like to you? I would love to see more Indigenous leaders in corporations, but also in the government. Um, I think that we need to be a part of these big conversations and the main conversations that are affecting every single one of us that lives here in so-called Canada, but also the United States. I feel like we need to be included in these these big conversations that are happening about global issues. Well, and I think like we have to be included, but what we're advocating for also has to be implemented within the policies and within the structures. I feel like right now for me personally, like I'm getting kind of annoyed when we see kind of like the quote unquote token native advocating for stuff. But then that's all you see them do within that that organization or within that corporation or that business. And so it's like, how can we actually start implementing what we're advocating for? Brands are also another way that they can start implementing what we're advocating for. And so when you're looking at a brand's values, like what I know you mentioned sustainability, but what are there? What are other ways that brands can also support indigenous influencers? I would love, love, love to see more brands donating percentages of proceeds to the Indigenous communities. That's one of the easiest ways that they can give back to the community and to the land that they're on. But also working with Indigenous influencers and designers as well to help support them and their endeavors. So I think a mix of both of those things in general, being a part of the conversation, but also taking action, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I think there's another side, too, is like sometimes when when indigenous influencers do work with brands, sometimes we can get called out for working with certain brands or we or a brand could get called out for cultural appropriation. And so what has that been like for you? Has there been any constructive like criticism when it comes to working for, with brands? And how do you challenge that or how do you like uphold your values through that? Maybe that criticism that you get. I feel like I, have, I probably have a different take on this whole situation because I believe that as Indigenous influencers, of course we need to be held accountable, but it's silencing very, very important voices when these Indigenous influencers are so attacked by people in the community or anyone online. And I think that it's more important to support these influencers, even if they take a campaign that is like, not ethically perfect. Like, is any company ethically perfect? No. Like, why should we as individuals be held to this super high standard when we're just trying to pay the bills just like anyone else? I would personally rather pay my bills so I can continue to afford to do all this free content that is providing so much value to the world, (laughs) at least enough value that I think I'm doing. And like, I would rather be able to afford to make inspirational videos, even if I just inspire 
one indigenous woman to like get out there and live her best life that's worth it for me it frustrates me so much with like how much backlash indigenous influencers get because those people are silencing very very important voices in the community well and i think like we see so many indigenous people within every industry and it's like okay so why are we picking and choosing who we call out or who we put hate towards like for me personally i don't see yeah, I don't know why there is so much call out culture happening specifically to indigenous influencers, because oftentimes, like a lot of the ones that I know are finding ways to give back to their community, are actually like advocating for things and also getting like either money donated to certain organizations, either money like fueled through the campaigns that they're doing. Like there's a lot of work that we're also doing behind the scenes. And I think you just see like one picture and it, it, it makes me question like, why are we putting all this hate, I guess, towards specifically indigenous influencers when there's so many indigenous people existing within all levels in, of industry? Because if you look within the modeling industry within the acting industry isn't that just also a part of the capitalistic system so it's kind of like for me i'm like at the end of the day we're all existing within a colonial entity and so it's like which why are we choosing which one we throw hate towards and i think oftentimes too as indigenous women i think we are we're holding a lot of weight and sometimes we're taking on so much responsibilities that are not even our own and so for me, I'm like, I just like have a lot of respect for uh, indigenous women that are trailblazing these industries. And I think there's also a lot of change that can happen through an online platform, because now if you look at people nowadays, we're all on our phones. Everyone's attached to social media to some degree. And so it's like, how can we influence people through through our phones and through social media. And so I love I love that you have a different take on it. And I think it also has to be said because I feel like a lot of influencers have even talked about all the all the stuff that happens behind the scenes. And I think we almost like need to team up together and support one yeah. another through this process. And like it's kind of triggering to like talk about these things. Like people want to know like what's the worst thing that somebody said to you online. And it's like I don't even like to give that power by speaking it why would I speak openly about that just so that more people could hear it and know how they can really get to me? Right. You know? Yeah. I guess for me, it's like, I like speaking about it because I, I know it exists within my realm. And so for me to like take the weight off is to bring it to the forefront so that I can like get rid of it. That's brave of you. <laughs> we have different ways of speaking about it too. I think like you can also not speak about it online. Like you can take it to your therapist or you can take it through like, you could take it into ceremony. You could take it to an elder. Like, I think there's different ways of getting that energy out of your body. And for me, I guess it's just like, sometimes I just, I just speak, but I think it's also like cultivating boundaries. Like you're saying of like what you share about yourself online and what you share with others. And so like, what has that been like for you? One hard boundary that I have is, um, exercised strictly through the block button. Like, I am so quick to block people. Like, <laughs> I probably have, like, thousands and thousands of blocked people on my account. Like, literally the second they throw some shade, I'm like, bye. <laughs> like, if you're going to say that now, you're going to say some more shit again that you're going to try and, like, get to me. So why would I keep that door open for them, you know? So if anybody is just, like, straight up negative, I'm like, okay, bye. If they're starting a constructive conversation... I'll let it play out and um, I'll reply even, 
But if it's like not constructive, if they're literally just throwing shade and like calling me ugly or something, <laughs> I'm like, bye. Like, why? Why would I need you? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I've heard like a, of other creators um, using the block button and also just saying like, this is my page. You've come on here to my house. Like, would I invite in a stranger to my house that was hating on me? No, I would like just not even them, even let them in my door. And so I love that you utilize the block button. Um, that's something that I need to start utilizing more. But coming back to like this indigenous futurism, you said that you want to see indigenous influencers and digital creators working more with brands. Is there any ways that you think brands can really support us through telling our stories? I think that one of the easiest ways companies can help give back is by helping us share our stories, whether that's like through sponsoring an Indigenous documentary or sponsoring the creation of a TV series or a movie. There's so much power in our storytelling. So I think that that's one really powerful way that they can give back to the community and also sponsoring podcasts too, like exactly what we're doing here. I feel like in general, like on my page, whenever I say sponsor this or donate to nonprofit organizations, a lot of the comments that I get from people are like, oh yeah, just throw money at them. And it's so frustrating because money in a way is power. And when you give money to a project, you're giving power to help make that a reality and to help bring that to fruition. You need money in this world that we live in to be able to do what we're doing. And that's one of the easiest ways that you can support our community is by supporting Indigenous initiatives. Well, I'm reading this one book by Carol Ann Hilton. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Indigenomics because it talks about implementing Indigenous values within the economy. And one of the first things she points out is that we haven't had the right to exist with the economy because of the Indian Act and because of what happened here, that we weren't even given the right to even create wealth for our families. There was literally every like policy in place so that we couldn't have access to even resources or access to opportunity. And so just having the right to exist within the economy is just now starting, I feel like, for a lot of Indigenous people. Like now I'm starting to see more Indigenous people with building wealth for the first time, for the first time. And this is something that we should have had access to like a long time ago. And so I think when like we're saying support these causes and support these funding, it's because we didn't have that support throughout history. And also when that support is not there, it's poverty. Exactly. Like when there's no financial support within the Indigenous communities in general, it creates poverty in our communities. And poverty creates so many issues, like countless issues. It's literally one of the easiest ways that you can support the Indigenous community. I think that it is important for people to do their research and to make sure that they're not just like throwing money anywhere I think it's important to make sure that it's going towards something constructive like this like this podcast or like my documentary yeah <laughs> yeah you just brought up one point though that I just want to touch on is I was talking to my mom recently because you do see like a lot online of like this is how you manifest your best life this is how you get um the career that you want and like I was telling my mom a little bit about these manifestation techniques and she's like Shayla this is great but um 
you have to realize like on that Maslow's like hierarchy of needs, like the first one is like survival. And if you're not meeting your basic needs for survival, there's no way that you can even begin to manifest because you're just trying to survive. These techniques that we see online, I mean, if you're just fighting to to put food on the table, how can you even generate like your best self if you're not even having like, yeah, we we need just our basic needs being met before we can even begin to start that like healing process. And that's something that I hope for to see like within our futures. Moving to my next question is like, how can people support the documentary that you're making and what is the documentary all about? Yeah, so this idea for the documentary came about years ago. I always like to ask whoever I'm speaking with if they're okay with talking about the Indian residential school system before I like dive into it because of course it can be a very touchy subject and can bring up a lot. So trigger warning <laughs> to anybody listening, but also to you, are you okay if I like go into it a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, when the 200 children were found originally in Kamloops, well, it brings up a lot for me, just like even talking about it. Um, Cause my dad, he is a 13 year residential school survivor when that news originally came out, I didn't realize it was going to affect me as much as it did. It brought up a lot for myself. It brought up a lot for my, my dad. And it brought my dad and I a lot closer because it helped me realize a lot about him and um, his experience. It also just brought up more conversations in general um, with my dad about, around the whole issue. Because like, we never really talked about it. It was something we knew of. But we never spoke about it because it is such a challenging topic. So when the news originally started to come to light and originally when when everything started to, you know, pop up in the news, um, I thought to myself, what next? Like what needs to happen in order for Canada to move forward in a good way? So-called Canada to move forward in a good way. And I was thinking about just making like a little two minute video about what I think needs to happen in order for us to move forward in, in the best way possible. But I realized that this is a question that needs to be answered by as many community leaders and members um, as possible. So the goal of the documentary is to interview as many Indigenous folks across Canada, whether that's Indigenous influencers, community members, chiefs, or any of the thought leaders in our communities. Um, I want to ask them personally what they think needs to happen in order for us as a nation to move forward in the best way possible. And um, yeah, it's been really interesting. We filmed the first day back in spring and we interviewed five of our first interviewees, one of which is my dad. And um, it was just a powerful, powerful day. Like, that night, I was awake until like five in the morning the night before because I was just like so like stressed, but also just like nervous and like I couldn't sleep. And I took my dog out for a walk. And um, the first time I have ever seen the Northern Lights, I saw it that night in Canmore. So I've never seen the Northern Lights in Canmore and I've lived there for the majority of like my life since we moved down from the North when I was five. And I had never seen the Northern Lights this, this far south ever in my life. And the Northern Lights like literally lit up the entire sky. And I just felt like it was like a good omen. And so that morning, 
we started the filming and I was really nervous about it because it is such a touchy subject. It went really, really well, like way better than I ever could have imagined. The interviewees, they had these breakthroughs where they felt like being heard. And I feel like there's so much importance in telling the truth, but there's so much healing in feeling like we are heard. That day, every interviewee just, like you could tell that they just like, you could see like a weight come off their back just because like they felt like this is going to get out there. This is going to be heard by thousands, hopefully of people, hopefully even millions of people. Yeah. I think that it was like the first day went really, really well. And we're just hoping to get some funding for another couple weeks of filming. I think ideally we can even do it like with four or five more days of filming because of the amount of content we've gotten already. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited about it. And it wasn't nearly as heavy as I thought it was going to be. Like, it was more like inspiring and like really just healing for us all to come together and speak so openly about it. So yeah, I'm really excited to like continue filming and to get this done because it's been so many years since I originally announced the project. So basically like what happened was I announced the project and um, it was so much weight that's like one thing I think a lot of people don't realize about being an indigenous influencer is like the weight that speaking about this kind of thing actually carries on us and how hard it is for us to talk about. For me personally, it just like made me realize that all of like all of my issues, including my OCD, like all roots back to the residential school system. Realizing that like was so heavy for me that I just couldn't carry the project for like, a year and a half, I had to put it on the back burner and just like focus on my own healing so that I could be strong enough to carry this forward. I feel like right now is a really beautiful time to share this project because it's given people time to heal and to realize what I have realized through all of this so that they're able to speak in their best light as well. So yeah, it's been a journey. Yeah. Well, like just going back to like the 215 children that were found, like my dad went through residential school too. And even though like it, even though I felt like I had done a lot of healing within that and my dad's no longer here either. So like, it's not like I can really talk to him about it, but through that, I feel like that's really what the 215 children ignited was like this massive collective healing on so many scales, but also individually, like for you now to know that like, Oh, this is where my OCD stems from. Like that's really healing in itself. And also like to share with others through the documentary, like we're not in this alone and we, we can actively support one another through this process. And I think sharing our stories is bringing that healing. And so I look forward to like supporting that documentary. It's pretty epic. Like some of the stuff that like my dad said, like that was, it was pretty unreal to hear my dad speak so openly about the residential school system. It was very healing for me, but it was also just like, wow, like, I've never heard him speak so openly about it. So it was, it was challenging, but I truly saw his resilience in a whole other light. And so it was, it was a really, it was really beautiful, but you'll have to stay tuned. Okay. For detail. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, my next question for you then is what's next for you and how can people support all the work that you're up to? How can people support the documentary? What's next for you? 
what's next for me? Honestly, we're we're looking for a couple other producers to come on the project to help us just push this forward. And we're looking for sponsors. Yeah, I've, like we started originally with the crowdfunding, which has been super helpful. But we just need a bit more money so that we're able to like charter flights and to like really get this going and happening. So yeah, I would say like if there's anyone listening that's interested in producing or helping us produce this and just push it forward, or if there's anyone that is interested in sponsoring it, like that is the biggest help that we could possibly ask for. Yeah, I look forward to seeing the trailer and I look forward to also just still following along your journey. I know you're in Italy right now. I don't know when you're coming back to Canada, hopefully sometime soon. Thank you so much, Marika, for joining us on the show, for sharing a bit of your story, for also being very vulnerable and what happens behind the scenes. I know we have learned a lot from just seeing your vulnerability online, but also like how you commit to your community and commit to sharing other stories. I look forward to seeing that documentary, too, because I'm literally like, what's next? <laughs> yeah, yes. I Well, thank you so much for having me and you always inspire me in so many ways. So thank you for that. And um, I can't wait to see what's next for you. Thank you. Hi, hi for listening to the show. If you like the podcast, check your podcast app now to make sure you're subscribed. I'm Shayla Olette Stonechild. You can find me along with more info on Matriarch Movement on Instagram at Shayla0H. And my podcast producer is Katie Lore. And I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.